Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here. Thomas Edison once said, opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. And I believe that is so true today that we look at an opportunity and because it doesn't present itself in a way that we really considered that it should be, we kind of put it to the side. But we need to remember that when we look at anything in life, we should not look at all of the things that make it bad, but focus on the one thing that makes it good and use that to determine whether we go after it or not. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here and welcome to Doc Talks, where we talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. Today, we're going to talk everything about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, we see that PTSD is a disorder that develops in some people who've experienced a shocking, scary, or dangerous event. Now, it is normal to be afraid during a traumatic situation. And fear does a lot of things to different people, and many times it causes us to have a split-second change in our body uh, to help defend against danger or to avoid it altogether. And some people recover from those initial symptoms naturally, whether it be that you're scared or that your heart is racing or that you become diuretic or diaphoretic, rather, that you're sweating. Most people recover naturally. But some of those people who continue to experience problems may be diagnosed with PTSD. And so while most but not all traumatized people experience short-term symptoms, the majority do not develop chronic PTSD. Not everyone who has PTSD has been through a dangerous event. Some people uh, have PTSD, uh, excuse me, PTSD uh, due to an experience like an unexpected death of a loved one. Now, symptoms usually begin early, within three months, typically, of the traumatic event, but sometimes they begin years afterwards. And if you followed me for any period of time, you know that I have PTSD, and it was several years before I realized that, that there was something going on. But symptoms can last more than a month. Uh, they can be severe enough to interfere with work or even relationships. And so the course of the illness varies, and some people recover, and some people the condition becomes chronic. Now, to be diagnosed with PTSD, uh, you must have one of all of the following for at least a month. You must have at least one re-experiencing symptom, at least one av avoidance symptom, two arousal and reactivity symptoms, and at least two cognition and mood symptoms. So the re-experiencing symptoms include the flashbacks, reliving that trauma over and over. It also includes the physical symptoms like racing hard or sweating, bad dreams, frightening thoughts. There must be at least one of those with that lasts for at least one month. Then 
The avoidance includes staying away from places, events, objects that are reminders, avoiding feelings or thoughts related to that traumatic event. There must be at least one of those. Now, there must be at least two of arousal reactivity, which includes being startled really easy, being on edge or being tense, difficulty sleeping, having angry outbursts. These symptoms are usually consistent uh, instead of being triggered by things that remind somebody of the event. So there must be at least two of those. And then there must be two cognition and mood symptoms. And those are like trouble remembering key features of the event, negative thoughts of yourself or even the world or distorted feelings like guilt or blame, loss of interest in enjoyable activities. And so we see that there must be those criteria in order to be diagnosed. Now, children and teens can have extreme reactions to trauma, but some of their symptoms may not be the same of, as adults. For instance, young children, uh, let's say less than six, it could be wetting the bed, acting out the scary event during playtime, or being unusually clingy with a parent or another adult. And so we see here that PTSD is prevalent and it does happen. And when you begin to realize that you have PTSD, you really do need to seek help. Something to remember is PTSD can happen at any age. And this, this includes war veterans, children, people who have been through a physical, sexual assault, abuse, accident, disaster. According to the National Center for PTSD, about seven out of eight Seven or eight out of every 100 people will experience PTSD at some point in their life. Now, interestingly enough, women are more likely to develop PTSD than men, and genes may make some people more likely to get it. So in order to get help, there are many different ways. There is psychotherapy where you sit down and talk about it, and that can actually be very troubling very uh, cause the symptoms to be worse as to recall and remembering and and not being avoiding of it. But one of the newer oncoming treatments for PTSD is EMDR. Uh, you may have heard of it, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it's a form of psychotherapy, which the person who is is receiving the therapy is asked to recall uh, the distressing images. And then the therapist then directs the patient in one type of bilateral sense, uh, stimulation, excuse me, uh, such as side-by-side -side eye movement or tapping either side of the body. So to put this very basic, when we sleep, most of you know what REM sleep is, R-E-M, which stands for rapid eye movement. When we are processing the events of the day, when we go to sleep, imagine the rapid eye movement that your eyes are moving to the left and the right. And everything that has happened during the day is coming before your eyes and being processed left and right. They're being scanned, if you will. And your brain decides that we're going to put this in short-term or long-term memory. And that's only one of two places it can go, short-term, long-term memory. What happens when you have a traumatic life event that could cause PTSD is that when your brain is scanning those things in REM sleep, that that traumatic event gets stuck, if you will. And so instead of packaging it to short-term or long-term memory, it is always in front of you. So anything that you see, anything that you hear, 
anything that causes a remembrance of that act could be triggering to bring all of that back as in real life. I know from personal experience that one of my things was a very vivid backflash, if you will. And it would be like I was sitting in a IMAX theater with full Dolby surround sound, and I was sitting there watching it as it took place. And it was like outer body. I was watching a video of how it happened, but it was real life. And so they use the MDR, the eye movement desensitization reprocessing to manually, if you will, process these memories. And from what I have seen, what I have read, it works. It works for a majority, a high majority of people who suffer from PTSD. But what about the people who are married to those who suffer from PTSD? How do we help them? How do we help them to navigate what's going on and to see that life can get better? Well, today I want to look into that. So in talking about PTSD and relationships, I have a good friend of mine, Brandy Young, and she is with us here today uh, via Zoom. So Brandy, it's good to have you with us. I'm glad to be here. So just to give people some background, Brandy and I did go to school together and every year for Christmas, she had to sing Santa Baby. And it is requested every Christmas by me because it's just not Christmas if you don't sing it, right? That is true. Yeah. Although this year, I think I gave you a pass this year because you didn't do it, but it's whatever. But in talking about your life, you were married to uh, a man who had PTSD. Is that correct? Yes. We were married for uh, seven years. And, you know, during that time, I had to deal with, with a lot of the difficulties that come with PTSD. So was he diagnosed with PTSD prior to your being married? Uh, I believe that his official diagnosis came after we were married. We knew that the signs were there, and but I don't believe it was until... It wasn't until after that you were married? After, yeah, it was, it was after when the official diagnosis, I believe, came. Okay. And if I recall correctly, he was a veteran? He was. And then he also had some childhood trauma that contributed um, along with the military combat-related uh, PTSD. There was a lot that, that he was dealing with. So it was probably more along the lines of complex PTSD as opposed to just PTSD. Are you familiar with the term complex PTSD? Somewhat. Okay. And, and yeah, I would, I would agree with that. So uh, assumably, as you were married, because marriage, of course, is a major I hate to use the word traumatic life event, but it is somewhat traumatic to be married because you lose a lot of your personal liberties and you are then engaged into a a committed relationship. But with that taking place, assumably that affected his mood and in a different way than when you were just dating. So do you remember a, a shift in your relationship after marriage? Absolutely. And I agree with, with your statement of it being a traumatic experience um, and you have so much more put on you, responsibilities and, and things that are expected of you. And, and you know, I want to, I kind of want to preface this with, I'm not in any way, you know, saying that I'm any kind of a victim of, of anything here, just, you know, trying to get 
you know, knowledge out there for those that need it, but I can actually pinpoint it to the night of our wedding, actually, when I, I saw a first real breakdown from it, and then it continued on from, from there. Can you kind of share as you feel comfortable what that pivotal moment was that night? The emotions of the day and, you know, the, the stress of all the, the planning and the dealing with, with all the family members and everything had kind of just come to the forefront. And it was a lot of the um, survivor guilt issues that had come up because we'd had such a wonderful day celebrating with our friends and our family. And he felt like, you know, he wasn't worthy of having all these wonderful people that love him um, because of things that he had seen and done in combat. And that, that was really hard. And I know that had to have been really hard for him also. That was the first time I really got an, an inside look at what was really going on. Yeah. Uh, uh, people with PTSD that, that do fall into that uh, spectrum, if you will, of having survivor guilt, any time a, a major event that takes place in their life can plummet them into this, all of a sudden, I shouldn't be able to be doing this because so-and-so didn't live and they deserved this happiness that I'm now getting. And so it kind of has a full... 360 feeling of, yes, I'm happy that this is happening, but at the same time, I feel guilty that I'm this happy. And uh, it, it really can turn into a, to a mess really quick. Definitely spiral quickly mm -hmm. in those situations. Yeah. So with your, with your partner, what were the traditional signs or symptoms of PTSD that he suffered? The traditional symptoms would be um, the hypervigilance. We couldn't really go to concerts or, you know, anything like that because of all the people and him always being super aware of what was going on around him, feeling like, you know, that feeling of dread that something bad was going to happen. I still, I still go into, when I go into a restaurant, you know, he would, he would have to sit where his back was not to the rest of the patrons. He would have to sit like in a corner mm -hmm. where he, where he knew where the exits were and things that most people don't even think about when they go somewhere. In the large crowds, it was, it was near impossible because he would, he would really get um, panicky very quickly. Yeah. And so in those situations, it would be while he wanted to be there for you and support you in those events that you enjoyed, it was taxing on him and his emotions to the point of where essentially made you miserable to be there with him. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it would get to the point where he wanted me to enjoy the things that I loved and he wanted to be there, but knew that he wasn't able to be there. So it was like, a, I really want you to go and do these things that you love to do and not worry about me. But at the same time, I don't want you to go and do these things that you love without me. So it was a, a very complex situation there. Yeah. And, and even, even in that situation can bring more survival guilt because I want you to be happy, but I want you to be with me but I know that you can't be with me and be happy. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so also there's a child in the home with you as well. Is that right? Yes. There, the, yes. I had a, a child um, from a previous relationship. You know, she was four, five when, when he came into the picture. That was very, very taxing. I'll just say his, you know, I guess military upbringing and, and short temper and, you know, those things that you're used to in a military lifestyle don't necessarily translate to dealing with a five-year-old. Sure. And that caused a lot of, a lot of marital issues as well. Mm -hmm. Which there's the whole dynamic of having a, a stepchild in the home and trying to be on the same page with discipline. That's already very difficult uh, within that, that mixed family and then to carry over the outburst and the anger and all of that that is surrounding PTSD uh, brings brings more difficulty. So in knowing all of that, how did you cope with everything that was going on within your relationship? <laughs> Obviously, I didn't cope very well since we, <laughs> since we decided to end things. I would say just really compartmentalizing my life became the norm which is probably not the best way to deal with things, but it's kind of how it had to be. Um, you know, it was like my daughter and I had had one life separate from his life, but then he and I had a life separate from my daughter's life and and all these, you know, different areas just kind of stayed in their own own little circles and, you know, just how we made it roll on. Yeah. So, so you talked a little bit about an avoidance symptom, which is one of the four symptoms uh, to get the diagnosis of PTSD. But uh, within that, were there, did he experience flashbacks or very livid visual or vivid rather dreams uh, where he would maybe even wake up during the night and be on edge or being reactive to something that wasn't actually taking place? Uh, All the time. We actually didn't even sleep in the same room for most of the marriage because he would be awake most of the time, you know, up and down all night with, with the dreams and, you know, and we joke about it from time to time as, you know, military spouses know to never wake their military spouse, you know, because they wake up swinging half the time. And that's the way it was. And there were instances as far as flashbacks, you know, had called me and he was, 30 miles down the road from where he was going because he just got completely lost in what he thought was his reality at the time he was back overseas. And that happened on multiple occasions. And it was very upsetting and traumatic for him and for me also. And, and you know, and the panic attacks and, and all those that, that come along with it. That was a daily reality. Yeah. And so... When when these things would take place, how would you react to this occurring to him? Oh, best way I could. My personality is to try to fix things, which this isn't necessarily something that I could fix. But, you know, I would pull out every tool in my toolbox that I had to, you know, calm him or focus his attention elsewhere, you know, just reassurance of that he was safe and that, that he was loved, that nothing bad was going to happen. You know, you kind of just have to drop everything else and focus on them at that point. Mm -hmm. Now, when it, when it comes to veterans, 
that have PTSD due to events that happened overseas, a lot of times when they get into these flashbacks can very easily become physical. Was there ever a point in your marriage where it got physical to the point of where you were scared for your safety or those in your house? No, thankfully. He typically would have those really vivid flashbacks when he was off by himself. I think that may have contributed to it also, just the being alone part. Mm -hmm. But I did see on a couple of occasions, you know, him go from upset to rage just in the blink of an eye. And it wasn't violence towards me or, or my child. It was um, towards another family member that had upset him. And there was the instance of just complete dread that something terrible was about to happen. But luckily, luckily it never got that far. And uh, he was able to be calmed down and, and uh, everything, I guess, turned out okay in that instance. But blind rage is, is very real. And I feel so, so bad for those that have had to witness that and getting past the point of just being in a rage and actually getting physically violent. Because I've I've seen it and I can I can tell that that's not that person that's doing that, and I can't even imagine trying to calm someone down that's in, gone that far. Yeah, and, and you know the the thing about it is that we don't understand as being outside of their reality is that their delusion is very real to them that this is real life that's happening. And so when we try to intervene to de-escalate, it really kind of sometimes to them appears that we are just trying to add to the current problem that's in front of them or that we're trying to distract them from something that really needs to be handled at that point in time. And so if we're not careful, that rage can be pointed outward then towards us as distracting them. And so there's that really fine balance of how do I distract them without them knowing I'm distracting them? How do I try to get them grounded without them think that I'm pulling them away or that their delusion isn't real? What were some things that you tried to do? Maybe they worked, maybe they didn't work to try to intervene in those, those instances of rage. I really didn't have much, uh, much experience with de-escalating those kind of situations. So the only thing I knew to do was to separate him from the situation completely, mm -hmm. separate whoever else was there from him so that the, whatever that trigger was, was not in the equation anymore. But yeah, just separating them from the situation. I mean, that was really the only, the only technique I knew at the time. Sure. Now, assumably, he was on medication for anxiety and, and mood swings. Uh, people with PTSD, a lot of times they will take those medicines and then abruptly stop because they feel like, especially, I hate to categorize, but especially veterans who feel like they need to be in control of their body uh, will just quit the medicine and things just all of a sudden get a lot worse. Uh, did you, were you ever faced with those kind of issues? All the time. That was one of the probably biggest problems that I saw, you know, take the medication. Oh, I don't like the way this one makes me feel. I'm just going to stop taking it. And I honestly should have done a better job of monitoring his medication for him 
but you're on that fine line of, you know, am I his wife or am I his mother? Am I his caregiver? You know, what am I? I don't want to be overbearing and, you know, control every aspect of his life, but I want him to be healthy and happy. You know, I did not admittedly do a good job with the medication management, but he would absolutely, you know, stop taking them. He would say a lot that he ran out of one of his medications and the VA hadn't sent it to him yet. And of course, I don't know. And, you know, it that could be the case or it could be that he just didn't feel like taking them anymore and didn't reorder them. And you could absolutely tell when he was out of his medication or, or when he'd stopped taking it. It was night and day. I could see that, but he really couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, looking at himself. You know, when we were together for so long, it got to the point where, you know, I could tell when he wasn't feeling good before he knew he wasn't feeling good. Sure. You know, I could just tell by looking at him that that something was off. The issue with medication is that leads to the Mm self-medicating part of it, which is another big issue. Which mental health drugs and self-medicating are kind of each other's nemesis of, you know, you're just making things worse. As you've alluded to, the marriage ultimately ended, but did it end on mutual terms? Was it something that you both agreed that needed to happen or was it kind of something that you just had to step away? I think he probably knew that it needed to happen, but wasn't ready for it to happen. Immediately, pretty much preceding the separation, he had entered, thankfully, into a in treatment or inpatient treatment at the VA. And it was a seven week program there. You know, that I really pushed for him to do that um, really hard. And he really did not want to go, but I knew that he needed to. I think I probably at the time, you know, subconsciously knew that I needed that separation. It was like the the stress, a lot of the stress and the the anxiety of, of living with someone like that was, was gone for a period of time. And then when it got close to time for him to come back home, all that stress and anxiety started coming back. And for me, that was, that was the, the point that I knew, okay, something's got to give. This isn't fair to me. It's not fair to my child. It's not fair to him. It's not working for anyone in this situation. And so the separation then led to the finality of divorce. Yes. Do you ever feel guilty for leaving him? Absolutely. Pretty much every day. Obviously loved loved him or I wouldn't have married him in the first place. I was actually seeing a therapist myself while he was in, in treatment to discuss, you know, the the realities of living with someone with PTSD and you know, and just, you know, how work on my mental health. And it was through that that I kind of realized what what we needed, you know, what needed to happen. But (laughs) there's probably not too many people out there that when they decide that they're going to separate from their spouse, that call their spouse's mental health professional to make sure they know what's going on so that they can reach out to him, you know, to help. And I absolutely did that. I mean, he had a great mental health team with the VA. And, you know, the, the day that this conversation was was going to take place. You know, I called and and talked with them personally to let them know what the situation was and that he was going to need some extra support. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I didn't, I didn't want to just leave him without ha- knowing that he had the support that he needed. Sure. And that, that is a, a great thing that you did for him. And certainly, uh, something I would encourage to anyone who may be in that situation. So wrapping this all up, what would you say to someone who is living with a spouse with PTSD in the same manner that you were? What would your encouragement be to that person? Absolutely seek out help. Don't put it all on yourself to be the sole provider, caregiver for that person because you can't do it all on your own because I I know I sure couldn't. Take time for yourself. You know, see a therapist for yourself. See a therapist together because it can work and you can make it work, but you have to work through it together or it doesn't work. Absolutely. Well, Brandy, thank you for being a guest today on Doc Talks. I appreciate your your willingness and vulnerability of sharing, and uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you for having me, and and I wish the best for for everyone out there dealing with with this sort of situation. Sure. All right. Well, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Brian. Bye. Living with someone who has PTSD provides a new level of challenges, not just PTSD, but any really mental health disorder, and it can become overwhelming. When you have a partner, a friend, or even a family member that has post-traumatic stress disorder, it affects you. Uh, It's not easy to live with, and it can take a, a huge toll on your relationships and your family life. So I want to just give you a couple of tips here. First of all, do not do not take the symptoms of PTSD personally. It's important to remember that a person with PTSD may not always have control over their behavior. Your loved one's nervous system is stuck, for lack of a better word, in a state of consistent alert, making them feel vulnerable, unsafe, or having to relive the traumatic experience over and over. So, First thing, provide social support. Don't pressure your loved one into talking. Don't ask them, well, what's going on? Sometimes it can make them feel worse, but just let them know that you're willing to listen. Do normal things with your loved one, things that have nothing to do with PTSD or the traumatic experience. Uh, Encourage them to seek out friends, pursue hobbies, things that bring them pleasure, and be patient with them. Accept and expect mixed feelings. Second thing is be a good listener. Some of the things your loved one tells you might be very hard to listen to, and it's okay. It's okay to dislike what you hear, but it's important to respect their feelings and reactions. And if you come across a disapproving, horrified, or judgmental, they're unlikely to open up to you again. So rebuild trust and safety. Express your commitment to the relationship. Let them know that you're here for the long haul so they feel loved and supported. Try to minimize the stress. Speak on the future plans and what you look forward to do. And then finally, anticipate and manage triggers. A trigger can be anything, a person, a place, or a situation that reminds your loved one of the trauma and sets off a PTSD symptom such as a flashback. And sometimes triggers are obvious, but others 
may take some time to identify and to even understand, such as hearing a song that was playing when the traumatic event happened. So now that a song or even some others in the same musical genre or triggers happen, we have to manage those things and know to stay away from them. So understand today that when you are with someone who has PTSD, you're dealing with their disorder, not that person. Educate yourself about PTSD. Know all that you can and get a counselor, get a therapist to help you as the person who is caring for someone with PTSD. Thank you for listening today. I'm Doc Brian. You can find all of my social media sites at the bottom of my website, thedocbrian.com. Of course, Doc Talks is a part of the Be Frank Network. You can find all of our podcasts there at befranknetwork.com. Thank you for listening today, and we hope to see you soon. Goodbye.